out there. Uh, at what age were you out rodeoing then at that stage? Uh, well, <laughs> were you legal? No, oh God, I. You know, but it was. I was still signing on, so. <laughs> <laughs> We used to, well, we used to, actually, uh, uh, Gino used to sign the posters <laughs> for uh, Brandon Quinn and the Bluebirds. We, we used to do like we used to do forty nights in a row, like wow. And the Saturday night, the big one was uh, up in Guidor. And now there was no hotels. We didn't stay or anything. Put the uh, gear in the van, got home. Was that just uh, town halls? Type no, of thing? dance halls, uh, and church yeah, halls, yeah, and yeah. And uh, Guidor and Donegal. Guidor and Donegal, yeah. and then home about three or four or five, Joe would call for me at 12 o'clock the next day and we'd go to Killarney. Brilliant. And then we would come back and uh, would smoke the odd joint and fucking just maybe get a couple hours sleep when the band was playing. But then every Wednesday would sign on and uh, Joe lived in Claddy and one of his mates went with him to sign on and his mother, he knocked the door and Mrs. Reed came to the door and says... Uh, Cal says, is Joe there, Mrs. Reed? And she she went to the foot of the stairs and said, Joe, get up, it's Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> Work day. <laughs> Sign on. <laughs> Jesus, it was wild. Uh, but it then I suppose wild. in them days, that was, uh, it wasn't uncommon because, I mean, people needed money. Everybody you know. needed. Yeah. And it was like the queues, the queues for the dole office. Uh, and then it was, it was this... Uh, a ruler in a box with your name on it. Have you been looking for work? Yeah. And you hanging like trying to get some sleep. And uh, I think it was seven pound a week or something. Uh -huh. But it was wild. It was great times. And was there people in them days watching out for people? You know, oh, I, uh, what they, what they I, I was doing work around the house one day, you know, from when my mother says, if you're not working, you're working around this house. Uh -huh. So I was doing cleaning drains and stuff. And somebody in the town told me that there was a boy watching me at the house. So when I went in to sign on, I said I was just doing some work around the house. No way. Right? Just shows you the eyes of the disbelievers. Oh. Uh, well, Gino, I should say here, welcome to the Small But Massive podcast and I should say Voices from the Sperns because you're a man that dips into both. You are from the, the foot of the Sperns. I always, Paddy, when I'm doing interviews wherever I'm at and they say Mahara Felt, I say it's at the foot of the Sperns. The heart of it all. And and uh, my granny and, and granda. Uh, my mother, I don't think, was born here, but my granny and granda, she married uh, Conway from Moninina, and then they moved into Marafelt to open a shop. Brilliant. So I have a, a a romantic pull to small but massive Draper's Town. Oh, I love that right there. <laughs> I love that right there. That was the best one ever. Woohoo! That's brilliant. And I didn't know that, uh, uh, and that's very interesting because at, at, at the end of the day, you know, your heritage Molinina and Italian. Uh, oh God! Yeah, but we'll get we'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, so I should say to the people out there, uh, right in front of me is the legend that is Gino Lapare. Yeah, love the arms up. We praise together. Give us that praise again, there, praise, Lord Jesus. Praise be Gino. Je and, uh, Jesus on the main line. <laughs> Jesus is live with Gino and Patty. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so we're all you're all welcome out there uh, to to the podcast, and uh, it is brilliant to have such a Distinguished musician oh, and uh, uh, traditional player and forerunner in the traditional world, uh, Gino. So, for the people out there that listening that don't know you, uh, you, where was your hometown and where were you born? Like, you're, just for people. Out I there. was, believe it or not, I was born in Belfast. My mother and father, my father uh, worked at the floor in marble in Terrazzo, and I was born in Green Island, but came back to Maharafelt where my granny and granda. Uh, had settled uh, during the war. 
they were, uh, my father was a, a war baby. He was brought out. They were sent out of Belfast towards the end of the war. And they were billeted in Marafeld. And my granny used to tell me that she would stand up at the Fair Hill where the police barracks is in Marafeld and look at Belfast getting bombed. See, I was I was the oldest. I'm the oldest Lapari. Yeah, and do you want to tell people just out there how you know who's in your family? Many. Uh, <laughs> are you a wild clan? Was it a busy oh, household? Shit. It was first up, best dressed. I have uh, seven brothers and two sisters, and about twenty five thousand cousins and eight hundred and fifty thousand nieces and nephews and grand cousins. <laughs> And I'm waiting for the knock at the door to somebody to come and say, Daddy! <laughs> <laughs> Midnight flip! <laughs> so, and your brothers and sisters, you were saying there that your family, because uh, I am aware that uh, they've done the floors and the trestle, because mm -hmm. uh, 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 I remember years ago, I think your family done the floor in Spern Bakery. Yep, yeah, yep. Years ago, I was I there. I did wow, it. I was no ATP at that time. We I probably did passed it. each other. And, uh, so, Mickey Martin and them boys. That's right, mm -hmm. and Eddie Burke. Mm -hmm. uh, there you go. And so did you... Um, when you so when you were back in them days about your family and the business and uh, like you said you moved to Macrofelt from Belfast uh, I'm sure that your mother would have been glad of that you know looking down and seeing what was happening and well she, we, it was a uh, times were tough like yeah. and uh, it was a job and yeah. uh, I remember uh, it heavy was, job oh god it was just it was you know you went to school and then you went to work with your father. But uh, it and I used to do it in the summers, and uh, it took us everywhere, like all over the place. In the north, it was a very, very skilled job. Yeah, and uh, some great stories too. Some some of the old Italians, you know, second generation Italians that were there, they would tell you great stories about your your father and your uncle and. They carry yeah. on, they get up to. And what was them kind of things for your well, father? I'm my, sure it'd be, you move from your home country you're born and it's bound to be, you know. Well, my grandfather, and uh, he got interned in, in the Alemann with uh, Mussolini's uh, links with Hitler. And my granny, being the, the smart woman she was, her and her sister, moved uh, from London to Dublin. And then they worked, they were seamstresses and, and all that kind of Was on. that the 50s? Would that have been oh, a, no, 40s. Uh, the 40s, 40s yeah, yeah. Just at the end of the uh, Second World War. Uh -huh. sort of thing, and yeah. uh, they they moved and the, the grandfather got released, came to Dublin. But at that stage, my, my aunt and my granny were, uh, of course, into smuggling stuff up the north, like stockings and butter, butter and stuff like that. <laughs> and there was a small, well, uh, not small. There small was, enterprise? No, there was a very, very... Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A very, very... Uh, Entrepreneurial spirit in your mother. My grandmother. And grandmother. the Italians that had lived in Belfast at that stage, all like they still do, stuck together. So my granny saw uh, uh, an opportunity, should I say. Yeah. And of a course, business opportunity. The ice cream was first, then the chip shop. And they had they opened an ice cream, uh, or a chip shop in Maharafelt, where the credit union used to be. And uh, my granny and granddad did that. And uh, we used to, like, they used to tell me stories about boys and, and they lived uh, in Market Square. And of course, I I was the eldest godson or grandson. So I was like, Jesus Christ Almighty. like you, know. uh, you were the cool dude. Uh -huh. And uh, I would get everything and they would tell me stories. And I remember the first time I ever stayed up to 12 o'clock. It was like, wow, <laughs> Jesus. Big boy night. Uh -huh. <laughs> and watching boys fighting outside in Market Square in Marafeld. 
after um, a night out. Uh, my grandfather said, this boy's tough, watch him, he'll hit him now. <laughs> and it was just, it was great, great growing up. I had a, such uh, a ball. And and, and, and Macca felt back in them days, uh, like, you know, uh, you went to primary school, was it St. Pius's or something? I went to St. Joseph's. Yeah. Uh, and I remember, <laughs> I remember coming home one day crying to my mother. And she says, what's wrong? I says, I, I don't like my name. She said, I says, I want to be called Philip. <laughs> you know, the, Gino, I think, uh, and everybody would look around and I'd go, ah, oh, jeez. And then when I was playing Gillick for, for the Rosses, it was, uh, remember, you had to pass the, the team sheet to the referee on a yeah, bit of paper yeah. or the back of a fag pile. Uh, but, <laughs> and I'm smoking pile. Uh, Gino O'Lapari. <coughs> they just, just put a no and a fat above it, and that was me. <laughs> but it, it was an interesting time because when boys would come home, like in St. Pius's, uh, when boys would come home to my house or for playing football or something, there'd always be pasta or spaghetti or something. And these boys had never seen any of this. Spuds, carrots, and mass. Uh, and yeah. and uh, spaghetti, a big, like a pot the size of this yeah. table, on, on the table. And it was just every man for himself. Like, uh -huh. and these boys trying to cut it up. And there was nine of us just beating it into us as quick as we could. <laughs> you had a technique then, obviously. Oh, I, we learned with the spoon and the fork right away. Uh, and uh, for people out there who don't know, like, so what, how is that done? The, you, the, you get, give us a wee sort of cooking uh, instruction no, there, Gino. You get your fork. Fork, uh, left or right? Uh, fork on the left. Fork left. And it's at an angle of about 60 degrees. 60 and, degrees. And you get your fork and you twizzle. <laughs> And then as you're pushing like this, you pull the, the fork in Ooh. and get it. So it's it's right round the, the fork. Yeah. And then you pull the, the fork away and bang. Bush. It sounds difficult, but it sounds easier. Uh, you described it it's, pretty easy It's there. quite easy, though, uh, you know, after a while. And then... Uh, uh, but for a pile of Highlands that never seen pasta oh, in their entire life, it wouldn't have been easy. From, pile of boys from Ballandary, we used to play football, they hadn't uh, a clue. Were they sort of cutting it up like uh -huh. you had cut up? They were waiting for the knife and <laughs> like spaghetti hoops. <laughs> we better spaghetti uh, outside. And then I remember one boy, my my granny went over to, I had to bring something over to my granny. She lived across the field and uh, he came over and uh, she was uh, frying green peppers. He'd never seen them or smelt them before. And were they hard to get just as a matter of just, well, you know, in them days there wasn't well, something? No, my granny, my granny and granda and my father used to go to my auntie in Belfast and they used to go to, it's still there actually, it's a, it's now a, a very trendy upmarket uh, sort of place to go. Uh, oh God, the name escapes me now. It's uh. right beside, it used to be on North Street and it's an Italian deli with, it's not the size of this, but everything in it from pasta to anchovies to, Oh, uh, God, it was a yeah. fantastic. I can't yeah. remember the name of it now. Uh, but I would still go to it. I know where it's at in Belfast. And you buy everything in it. It's really, really good. That's good. And My granny used to go there. That was the connection probably. You, you mentioned earlier on there about the Italians and the, the connection you would have mm -hmm. to each other. So that was something. Like you could see it now where you're seeing now, which is brilliant, all the different shops that are popping up, the Polish shops, yep. and, you and know, the, all the different uh -huh. ones that it's coming out. And at that time, I suppose the Italians would have been... Well, they had their own... They, they had... Uh, they, say, you know, the Italian have a big work ethic, like the ice cream shops, like yeah. the people up in the port, the Morellis and, and the Fuscos and all, big, yeah. big work ethic. And they... 
you know, the other place when, when I travel with the dogs, uh, Wales is another huge place for Italians. There you go. Huge. Would that have been going back to the start again you were uh-huh. saying about your war. mother? Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, to the war, yeah. yeah. And they went, into, they went into mining and and they have like, even more so in Wales than in anywhere else in the UK, like, for uh, uh, because of, I, I don't know, for the, for the mines and the, they just they went there on mass like just right after yeah. the war because it was hard times. So right. some some people were going to any any type of any uh, regeneration and, and if you're there and it doesn't matter what nationality you are, it happens. But and, sure, now we're going through it again with all the all the people coming from Poland and yeah. Romania and wherever yeah. they're coming from. Yeah, and that you know that only adds flavour to what we're living in. That only adds that, that educates us if we were open enough to look at it. Yeah, and it brings new forms of music, culture, entertainment, yeah, culture, yeah, dance, yeah, yeah, everything. Uh, and that's a positive thing. Oh, absolutely. And I think that uh, um, you know, for I know I know I feel this anyway, especially from. Uh, the country we come from, uh, the amount of people that did, uh, like mm-hmm. I've been talking to different peoples, you know, and uh, there was one man made a comment that uh, many years ago, uh, you had to emigrate. Mm-hmm. Now you can stay. You mm-hmm. have a choice. There was no choice yeah. then. No, no. So, and, and what you're talking about, your mother, that was happening here. And that's yeah, time of people oh, leaving absolutely. to go, you know, mm-hmm. so it wasn't, uh, uh, you know. Uh, my granny, my granny Conway, before she decided to get married, they split up and she went to America and her name's on the Ellis Island. There you go. And she worked as a maid in Philadelphia. There you go. And then your man romanced her and she said, no, I'll come back and marry you. So he done the romancing? Uh-huh. Well, a bit of spaghetti and a wee flour? No, well, he was in Dripperstown. So oh, then there was a bit of spuds, carrots and mints. It was a flurry spud and a bit of good <laughs> unsalted butter. Bag of lump of butter on it. No, that was messing around the margarine. Not the Real top, deal. Butter. Real deal. That's brilliant. And scallions. Oh, <laughs> champ, you call it. Oh, yeah, champion. Absolutely. And, uh, and that's brilliant. And so going back into your house, uh, your mother and father, the, the era they came from, um, was there music in your house? Was it was it the, like the brand? Well, was it the the big singers or classical music? Was it the, oh you know? Well, my my uncle, my mum's brother, who was Mickey Conway. He was he was just a genius, a musical genius. He he worked with the Green Angels. Uh, he worked with Acker Bulk. He played saxophone and clarinet, and uh, he had the Northern Swing Big Band. And his cousin, Hagen Pat Hagen, was another. They had the pantomime and Maharfelt at the time, and they were in the pit, the orchestra with brilliant, with Davy Quinn and Brenton Quinn, and uh, my and my father was the, he used to be the dame, and then he would he would sing also, He'd sing it. but it was Tony Bennett, Dean Martin, Frank Sinatra. I didn't hear Irish music till I was thirteen. There you go. It was all Dean Martin, Frank Sinatra, and that came from probably the culture of your father. That was the music then, well, wasn't it? It was Coming. the big band. Uh, they. Uh, they all, you know, Mickey and my father and uh, Dixie Care and all these boys, they learned instruments. Yeah. And, you know, saxophone players and clarinet players. It's an amazing the amount of multi-instrumental, you know, back then, mm-hmm. them big bands yep. that the, the artists had and the, and the players were superb. Oh, they were, like, Mickey went, Mickey, he had the, he, after my grandfather died, yeah, him and his brother took over the, the shop and they had the cinema as well in Marifeld. No way. Uh-huh. And I, uh, I remember, like, when did the cinema first come in? Then, Gene? Oh, I, when I was a kid, it was there. It was there. It, right? it was. Uh, they used to. They had the cinema van, and they used to go to Belfast every Tuesday 
for the new releases. And then uh, I would go up the stairs up the back to watch them. We, uh, <laughs> and uh, oh, it was just, it's such, and then come home with bits of film, and, you know, they'd cut it in splices. And did you get any old posters or anything? You know, oh god, you know what? I didn't, uh, but I sh you know they were they were everywhere. They were lying yeah, all around. Yeah, and, suppose uh, you never think at the time that fast forward forty years that these actual posters, some of them were actually quite worth, classic. Uh, uh, no, I didn't. I didn't get any of those, but I do keep. Uh, festival posters now from gigs we do because you, really you never good. know who's on the bill. Like, so that's really good. I, I just like to keep them. That's really good. And uh, all my laminates, I must actually give you them. It'd be good to uh, let them be in a space like this. Yeah, I appreciate that. Because I have hundreds of them and my house is too small for them. There we go. That's, that, uh, you can have that. I'll bring them out to you and you can you do what you want and with them. Touch the holy... The thing around, <laughs> <laughs> around the neck of, of Lord Gino. Just touch it, people. Uh, that was Copenhagen. Touch Copenhagen. Well, there was, <laughs> that there was, was Frankfurt. There was some interesting ones. There. Was there, I? There was the Olympics in Atlanta. No way. Uh -huh. We played at the Olympics. We, we played with uh, a Little Richard. And we played... Good golly, Miss Molly. Uh -huh. Unreal. We played with Rita Coolidge. She's a lovely woman. Uh -huh. We played with some of the, the boys from the band, Levon and Rick, and yeah. uh, we played with them. And, you know, in the, the, the gigs we did, and we did some very strange ones in, uh, like, oh, God, I don't know, uh, way up in Trondheim in Norway, you know, 24-hour day light. And what the, was that like? Just describe it to people out there. That's where it's darkness, isn't it? All is I, it? In the summer, it's 24-hour yeah. light. Yeah. And the concert, the gigs don't start at 2 o'clock in, in the morning. And and you take all your strength to pull the curtains over because they're about a foot thick. <sighs> and then we've done it in the winter, where people are in the dark from half eleven in the morning. That's mad. That's bound. To, what does that kind of do to your? Head? I know well, you're. That's I, kind I, of strange coming well, from all, here. Like. All the lights and uh, gigs and in restaurants have that the sunlight thing on them. Aye. Uh, you know the vitamin B or vitamin uh, D or whatever. Uh, Rather than just throw oranges mm -hmm. at you. No, no, just <laughs> turn the lights on. <laughs> Squeeze it, an orange over you there again. No, but it, it's, uh, there's, uh, you know, the Byron has taken me to places that I... You never believed. Never believed. Uh, well, just on that in the board, uh, you, uh, I know that you started... Um, Late on, not late on, and the born. You have a story about it and how it came about. Tell I, the people out there that don't know how Gino started actually I playing. I was working for my uncle in Bundorn. And he had, I was 13 or 14 and I was working for him through the summer. Yeah. And it was at that time when, when he was growing up, they traveled for work. So they stayed away all the time, but yeah. I'd never been away from home. Yeah. So he explained to me that we were going to work in Bundorn and would be there for a month and uh, we would stay. And I said, that's grand, you know. But then he he didn't tell me that he was going on holidays for two weeks. <laughs> so I was there on my own for two weeks working. No way. And uh, I had to do a, a certain amount every day and then I'd go. And, but as a present, the boy that owned the, the place we were working at, it was a big amusement arcade, took me to Fitzgerald's music shop. And I, I'd seen this bar on in the window every day I walked past it. Every day. And uh, I nearly hypnotized you, didn't it? Just, it was like a... Uh, and I said, you know, I think I can play that. And uh, he got it to me as a thank you present when we were leaving. And I would sit in the back. I would take it to work. I'd take it to, to work in the back of the van. I, you know, I'd be sitting in marble bags, practicing and playing. 
And then my uncle, uh, who was a banjo player, he loved the Dubliners. He says, you know, you need to get a set of bones. So he, we were working in a butcher shop and listening to ski. Just explain this to people that don't understand what this is about, the bones. The bones are two sheep ribs. Yes. And they're, they're concave and they're boiled and they're scraped and they're boiled and then they're buried. And then all the marrow's taken out of them and then they're boiled again and bleached, sanded down. And I don't know if tuning's the right word, but you can put little bits of wax into the bit you take out so that you can make an, a, a nighter, sweeter note with them. Amazing. And they're played, it's like, uh, it's, it's like the spoons, only they're played this way rather than, you know, off your yeah, knee. Yeah, and, and so... But that, it's an art, it, it, it's... Uh, who came up with it? It's an art in itself. Well, it's the American uh, dancers came up with it. A, a lot of the jazz dancers, Sammy Davis Jr., the, the modern ones would be the Carolina Chocolate Drops, Rihanna Giddens, they they all have great Bones players. Mm -hmm. And uh, in fact, I've adjudicated at the World's Bones Championships a few times. And there's a guy in, in Boston who's the world champion at the minute, Stephen Brown. He's very good. Mm. He plays two different rhythms at, at the same time in two different hands. He's know. showing off, isn't he? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I says, why are you asking me to adjudicate that? That's wild. And what is, just for people out there, uh, just when you were saying that, the World Championships, well, what is that? Just, is it people like the Irish dancing that come from all over the world? All over the world. And uh, and the, the it's in, in Abbey Field in County Limerick, and it's at their festival every year, and it was just sort of, you know, they were trying to get something different. Yeah. And... Uh, the bones and then there was like local guys because it was an instrument that the older men played and then as it got more popular there's boys from america boys you know yeah japan uh, england uh, everywhere it's a power now that i suppose old friend it's a power of the internet isn't it that things can people can pick up anything now there's yep. not you know i don't mean pick it up but they can see it for what it is and, yeah and the different uh you know uh Instruments from around the world. Do you know what oh, I mean? Oh, yeah. Sure. Just, my house is full of stuff that I, I picked up and, and I still do an odd YouTube tutorial with, with these clay drums that I got in studio. Oh, <laughs> I, just between dusting them and trying to get notes out of them. And, um, but it is, the internet has been a great thing for, for, for traditional music and yeah. I, I suppose all sorts of music. But, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's, a, it's allowed people to, you know, you see some clips with millions on it. Yeah, and it, yeah. it's a strange thing. It's a strange phenomenon how things just take off. And uh, for you then, uh, Gino, going back, your your first sort of uh, you talked about there. You ha there you got your instrument. You mm -hmm. were out working. Uh, you came home and uh, did you think then, like your uncle had said to you, X, Y, or Z? Mm -hmm. Where was your first session, and who was at it? My first session was in Bundorn, and I I'd sit in, in the building site and. Uh, I don't know if you've ever worked on a site, but when, when uh, cement's delivered fresh, it's hot, it's nice and warm. Yeah. So I used to sit, I'd make myself a chair, you know, like a stool out of it. And I would sit at a tea break and play. And the first tune that I thought I could play was The King of the Fairies. So I, there was a session in... There was a session in Bundorn, and Muggins here, as large as life, just... I went down to the session, no Byron bag, just a Byron and a stick. Didn't know how the instrument really, you know. Yeah. And I waited all night and sat and waited all night to the King of the Fairies. 
I played it, which I thought was all right. And these boys looked at me and I never played again because they didn't play it again. That's, that's the only tune. I, I didn't realize my naivety was that a jig is a jig is a reel is a yeah. reel. I just thought a tune. Yeah. And uh, I waited for them to play the King of the Fairies and then sat all the rest of the night. If they, play, if they had played other things, I could have played them, but I didn't know. Yeah, that's, you didn't know uh, the, the actual sequence of how a, se- a trial no, session was no. laid out. It's like when I, when I went uh, to the, my first land and given, I thumbed up the Glen Chain. Welcome, sir. Uh, and I met the man that is still my mentor to this day, the, the brilliant, brilliant Seamus O'Kane. Yeah. Seamus Rushy. And uh, I happened to see him outside the chapel. A well-respected man. Oh, God, what, what a man. And uh, I said, excuse me, do you know where the competitions are? And again, I had no bag from the buyer on. I was just carrying it. He says, who are you? And I told him my name. He says, come on with me. And uh, I didn't know how the flies worked. I, this is the first one I'd ever been yeah. at. And, uh, I'm sure was, you were excited and nervous. Well, I, you know, at, at that age. You I don't was, care. You just want to do I it. I just do it to ah, see what. Just, it was something, you look, I, I'm, believe it or not, I'm, I'm quite shy. And uh, yeah. I just wanted to do it. It yeah. was something drove me. And. Uh, Seamus says, come on, I'll, I'll get you. And he got me a whistle player from Coleraine. He was a student at the university. And we played the tunes. And uh, I won it. And I, holy jeez. Yeah. But I didn't know that, you know, I didn't know what the crack was. And then Seamus took me under his arm. And uh, we went and we, he, I, I learned the etiquette and playing tunes and sessions. And then staying up all night playing. <laughs> and waking and up in Seamus's house and getting up the next day, getting a feed of breakfast and away playing again. And yeah. everything after that just went downhill. It, uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's downhill outside Port Rush we're talking that, about. That, that. Down, and, uh, downhill but, in a handcart. But, but, you know, you had a mentor then, mm-hmm. which is really important for people oh. out there to know that, you know, even <sighs> though you can play on in your own, there's somebody out there that can be an inspiration. But even to this day, and I've been a professional musician for 30 odd years, I still look for Seamus' uh, okay. Yeah. I would still, you know, is that all right, Seamus? Do you think that's okay? Yeah. And, and now, uh, at the end of this month in February, there's a huge celebration of Seamus O'Kane's life in the Mandela Hall. And I'm uh, lucky enough to be the MC for the evening. Brilliant. And, Brilliant. Uh, no better MC. Oh, jeez. I have some, me and him have some stories. Yeah. At the All-Ireland, when I got through, I won the Ulster too, and I went through to the All-Ireland the first time. And he says to me, now look, no drinking. <laughs> I says, right, James, no. And we were walking around the stool. And I, no drinking. I said, dead on. But what he, what he didn't know was it a Coke bottle. Half cook and the rest of it full of vodka. You know, we jump on it. Oh, <laughs> lashing into it to try and keep me. Oh, just for the nerves. Yeah. Just for the nerves. Uh, and he, uh, said, he said to me, in the, uh, Were you drinking a party? I says, Aye, was I? Yeah. <laughs> but I just, I just because I'd never been on a stage that important before, uh, I thought. Yeah. And uh, I had nobody to play with. And this girl, who I still play music with to this day, a great tin whistle player from Balamoney called Deidre Havlin. And uh, Deidre played tunes for me and uh, I sort of, the nerves got the better of me and I sort of tried to make a joke of it. And everybody was laughing and, and we played a slow air mm. on the Byron and the whistle. And your man, uh, I can't remember, I think he said something along the lines of, 
if I wanted to hear jazz, I'd have gone to New Orleans. Oh, some, no. Something like that. Uh, but I did, that was the last time I ever played in a competition. That uh, didn't interest me after it that. It didn't interest you. Because I suppose that's all part of the journey of, but, of who you were. And I mean, uh, like, like anything else, you came then, you learned the etiquette, uh, you learned how to perform at uh, trad sessions. Yeah. And so see the likes of, uh, how do you feel now with a trad uh, tradition is there seems to be a lot of young people getting involved. Is it uh, is it bigger or has it always oh, been massive? Do you know, you travelled with it. You it, would know it, more than it, it's been my job for thirty five years. But I have to say now, the young people coming through now at this stage are just phenomenal. They're yeah. phenomenal, and and the 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 grow for it, and they're they're playing with little groups and they're playing together in arrangements and. Doing this and and you know without that the music would die. Yeah. So you've got the likes that we were talking earlier about Andy, Andy Irwin, who's a phenomenal musician and yeah, gentleman. a gentleman. But the, his songs are now going through with uh, Die Farrell and and this and, and Andy's Andy's stuff is all is all sort of now uh, in the records. But music tunes are going. You know, there's 15, 16 year olds writing tunes all the time, mm. and their their standard of musicianship is scary. Yeah, it's absolutely scary. And is that uh, due to uh, well, that's due to, I suppose, in a way, people like yourself and other ambassadors well, uh, of the of the well, traditional music all over Ireland, well, I would imagine, when, and the world. When, when me and Cahill started Four Men and the Dog, we were heavily influenced by Dedanne, yeah. Frankie, Frankie Gavin, and Johnny McDonough, and then. You know the the biggest one of the biggest things ever was for me to play with them to in in Galway one day, and to know who I was, mm -hmm. and then to meet Tommy Hayes and and to meet this and and they it, we became friends rather than yeah. and uh, now I I would I would when I teach and I, I uh, I'm always uh, teaching to make sure that they enjoy it rather than go for competitions. And I don't yeah. adjudicate competitions because yeah. personally, I don't agree with it. it it's yeah. uh, I, it's something that I've seen recently that the parents are living their life through the kids' competitions. Yeah. You know, and you don't give wee Johnny first place, the mother or father come up and say, sure, what do you know? Ah, uh, yeah. You know, because yeah. they think he yeah. or she's the best they ever heard. Because that's on the pedestal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, before mm -hmm. you even enter it. And I suppose... In a way, that there um, goes back to what you said uh, earlier on. It, it should be about the gatherings and, and a wee room and, oh, and playing together and, and, you know, them sort of trad sessions. And you spoke there just uh, something recently. I was, uh, I was talking to Nathan, uh, uh, who's on this podcast over beside me, on about, um, he was talking to a gentleman uh, about the old songs and the songs that are sitting uh, that may not even have been done yet and that there's loads of songs and there's people out there that have collected loads of songs. Well, and, you, and Yeah, we were talking uh, before before podcasts and before that, like I mentioned, Alan Lomax uh, going through the Mississippi Delta yeah. recording songs, you know, from Gatemouth Brown and from, you know, that, that's where... Were John Lee Hooker started. The old footstoppers. Uh huh. You know. Yeah. And then, then in Ireland, you had Paddy Tunney and Tommy Makem's mother, Sarah, going around collecting songs. The, the traditional music was an oral tradition yeah. because traditional musicians didn't read music. So it was handed down in kitchens. 
There you go. And and then you'd say, oh, Jesus, I, I heard this tune in Donegal. And then somebody in Scotland might have another version of that tune because the Donegal men went over to Gather Spuds and they brought the, the tune there. <laughs> there and uh, Trina and, and Maria Nedono, uh their aunt Nelly, uh, when they were when they were singing, uh, she she was a great collector, and, and she used to say the boys would say to her, "Do you want anything back from Scotland?" And she'd say, "Bring me back a song." <laughs> so that's how that repertoire grew. Like yeah. there's there's a brilliant song I'm learning at the minute called Lord Franklin, about uh, the his demise in the North Pole, but it's it's an English folk song. Yeah, you know fr- from uh, him and his crew just got snowed in, like iced in, and it's it's so beautiful. But Michal O'Donnell sings it, and it, it's the definitive version of the song. Yeah. And again, it's it's a story. It's it's an actual true life story. From that place. From that place. And that's Baffin impo- Island. Is that important for people out there listening, Gino, to know that um, a lot of these oral songs come from an area first? Oh, Is that, Would that be right? Well, sure. You've got, like, the Draperstown, you've got Mahara Felt Mayfair. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you've got... Uh, you know, uh, all them skipping the songs. Uh-huh. The yeah. Bra- oh, Got what a song. Yeah. The Braid the and Grades of Scream. Yeah. Uh, Sleeve Gallon Braids. Oh, jeez. Uh-huh. I remember singing that in the Australian Embassy in in, uh, in uh, Canberra. And the... Uh, Do you want to give a line now? Oh, get away. Go and away, line. There was a few... Uh, <laughs> there was a few... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A few sociables. Uh-huh. And, uh, I thought you were going to say dignitaries. <laughs> oh, there was plenty of them. <laughs> and... Uh, I sang it and uh, the uh, ambassador's wife was in tears. Oh my God, that's the most beautiful thing I ever heard. But what you didn't know was I sang the same verse twice. <laughs> <laughs> it was so beautiful. Oh yeah, but you know, that's, that's your stagecraft. You learn that and go on. You know, you don't say, oh shit, I sang the same uh-huh. thing. Well, talking about uh, Four Men, the dog. Um, so, you know, People should know that you were an international travel band uh, and uh, that you met a lot of people along the way and did. a lot great, of gigs. Great uh, crack. And, uh, so just for people out there that uh, aren't aware of, of Four Men and the Dog, could you give them a wee insight, you know, how did it start? Who were the members and how did you just come about? Because I know Cal was a friend of yours, Cal, is that right, from, Cal, from young days? Me and Cal played our first tune in a bar in Maherfeld and uh, our friend, he was 13, I was 15. And our friendship has been, he's 60 now this year and I'm 64. So we've been together uh, like an old marriage. <laughs> and uh, he he was playing with our Katie, Johnny McDonough's band, uh, with Sean Keane and Sharon Shannon. There you go. And uh, Mick Daly, who was the singer, who is the actual dog in Four Men and the Dog. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> he, uh, he said, he saw me playing in Cork and said, Cal, you should talk to that man there. Do you know him? Cal says, of course I do. So we formed this band, Four Men and a Dog, in Cork. How did but the name come about? We couldn't, we, we were tormented trying right. to get a name. And we were in the Spalpine opposite uh, Murphy's Brewery in Cork City. And it was Cahill's Round. And he was up at the bar getting the drinks. And there was four of us sitting there. And he looked around and he said, look at that there, lads, Four Men and a Dog. <laughs> and by that stage, we were emotionally exhausted so he said you know what that's the name yeah and and uh, 
it would do it would do for a stopgap and uh, 30 odd years later stuck. and Mick Daly announced because they always thought that I was the dog and Mick Daly announced when we, we did it the fly a few years ago in Mullingar that it was uh, he was the actual dog his nickname in Cork was the black dog because he had this big bushy beard there you go. and a voice like an angel uh. and uh, there was Mick Donald Murphy from Abbey Field Brian McGrath from Fermanagh Cahill, myself, and the inimitable Artie McGlynn produced yeah. an Artie toured with us for, well, he educated us all. Fantastic and, and player too. How, oh, he educated us all on how to do it. Sure. Then when Mick realised that the band was going up a step and there was lots of tours opening up, Mick had a small business in Cork, PA, and he was happy enough sort of planning around Cork and doing that. So uh. I approached Kevin Doherty from Donegal. And then Brian, Brian McGrath, uh, who played banjo and mandolin, was getting married and he didn't want to travel anymore either. So we got Jerry Banjo O'Connor. And Donald had just started a business, so he left. He said, look, lads, um, I'm going to concentrate on my business. So there was me, Jerry, Cahill and Kevin. And that was the nucleus of the band for 25 years. Amazing. And we went everywhere. Yeah. We had some crack. And so see there when you were saying about picking up on tours, the for people out there, I suppose, um, it's just to make a difference that you're playing in uh, sessions and all, uh, trad sessions, all of a sudden you're in the big stages mm -hmm. that you talked about mm -hmm. earlier on. Um, do you want to give people a wee insight into how that, because, you know, you get a lot of bands uh, that back in the day, it's all about, oh, let's pull in and blah, 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 we'll just play, man, we just turn on and play. But oh. there's a... You know, there's a professionalism, I think, when you go on actual tours. I know that, you know, from uh, well, bands and stuff. You can't do it, Paddy. You can't go and sit up every night no. uh, to play at five and six in the morning and then, you know, take a 10-hour road trip yeah. and turn up to play for these people that have spent the same amount of money as, as the last people yeah, and the yeah, second. Yeah. And we never we never did that. We, we always, uh, we left it all on the stage because we would have felt that we cheated them. Yeah, and it was like uh, the four of us had a, and we learned this from Marty. The four of us had a, a certain amount of, uh, well, we had respect for their arms, but we felt we owed them something. We yeah. we had to be the best we could be. Yeah, like and and I think in any performer and any genre of music, will the show must go on, and yeah. and they will do it. Like, yeah, yeah, and it's just something inside you that you have to do it because these people, you know. They don't care that you're having a shit day or the tax man's after you yeah. or you're divorced. Or yeah. They want you to be Paddy Glasgow and, and yeah. they that's what they're paying to see. Yeah, yeah. And, and and you feel that you have to give them that. You're obliged to mm. feel that. And I suppose in a way, um, that's something for people. Like we all go to concerts and we're overwhelmed by looking up at the band, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Why don't they sit and talk to us the rest of the night? But you have answered there why you can't really. Mm. There is a wee meet up at the end. Oh, absolutely. Can do that. That's you, all part of it. But, but, but there's other, you know, there's other things that, that uh, when you go to sign CDs and stuff, we would go out and, and that's where you'd meet people. But but at some, at some gigs, like I remember in Tokyo, uh, we were playing in Tokyo in this gig. And uh, there was a, we played, Alton played first, then Sharon, Sharon Shannon, and then the dogs were finishing it. And in the interim, 
uh, between Sharon and the boys setting up for us, I went across to Starbucks. Now, the Starbucks in Tokyo wasn't the size of that Marshall Amp, like it was just small. <laughs> and I went in and got, got four coffees for it. But by the time the word had got out that I was in, in Starbucks, there was about 400 people around me and I couldn't, couldn't get out. <laughs> and the boys were saying, ladies and gentlemen, four men and a dog. And I was, I was standing with four lattes <laughs> and a Starbucks. You know, it, uh, it, it's very strange. Uh, and and uh, in Bangladesh, uh, I had to have a security man. No way. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. We went out to Bangladesh to do some charity work. And uh, we arrived and uh, I don't know if you're aware in that culture... The man, the the head honcho, is the boy with red hair. He dyes his hair red, so he stands out <coughs> among the crowd. So he's a chief. He's well, sort of, yeah. Aye. And we uh, arrived in Dhaka, and uh, we give this boy came walking up to the plane. He gave took our passports, and he walked us right through security to two Range Rovers on the tarmac, <laughs> and we went to this this place for breakfast. And I said, you know, I went out for I went outside just to get me burned, and there was commotion. And I had a the must have th- the boy said to me, he was from Bunkrana. He said they think you're a king because you have a white security man. <laughs> and I was I was walking around like mind my own business, and these everyone I turned around there was a line of people after me. It's just you know they they perceive what it is, and then the we were doing this thing for an orphanage, a fundraiser, and. Uh, the boys, we, we were watching the, these skilled laborers with no shoes, no hard hats, no nothing, put this bamboo structure up and making it into nearly like a wedding concert venue. Oh. And the, the boy's wife, uh, God, uh, she's from Bunkrana as well. She's, she said, uh, she's an accountant, and she said, these boys are costing us a lot of money. I said, well, Jesus, they're doing such a great job. £15 for the week. For thirty men to build this this theatre, made of bamboo and white and cotton, and fifteen pounds for the week. That's absolutely amazing, unbelievable. Oh, and then we, then we all got sick, and then uh, we had to play for. I had to give the president or the prime minister of Bangladesh a lamb bag. <laughs> <laughs> and I was so sick. I was so sick. Well, you was all struck by a bugger, was I? Sure. Lash and drink into some uh, grub and, uh, and then you know you forget yourself you clean your teeth the next thing uh, uh, I know and, and we front were, and back Emma on the uh, pressure on, uh, there was the Jerry Jerry Banjo was a Chelsea supporter and I'm a United supporter so he the boy that was working for the, the government he was able to screen the football but Jerry and I were so sick we were lying on this big marble floor in the palace <laughs> Just with their heads down, trying to be cool, <laughs> stop sweating. And the match on, I remember DDA Douglas scored a goal, and I was going, I can't even give a shit. <laughs> it was so bad. Gino, I suppose, uh, to have a wee drinker, and uh, I suppose for people out there, um, for yourself, um, you spoke there about, uh, you know, which is always great when you uh, are a musician that's put many years in uh, on the road and the sessions and still doing mm-hmm. work. Uh, uh, things like, uh, you, we talked earlier on that you've now started, 
you know, if you're asked, like you've been working in plays, uh-huh. you've been working, oh, uh, you've been working on uh, young people that you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you want to give them a wee example? Because you mentioned about Marco Felt there, your hometown. You done oh. a wee project. I did. I, I was telling you uh, last Christmas. I uh, went to the, approach the council uh, along with my my cousin Michael Brown. Uh, he worked in the council, and we had this idea about going to all the different schools and getting them to sing Christmas carols, different yeah. uh, verses videoing it and putting it on to the Santa's truck as he drove around Marafeld. And uh, it was a big success and we went to the schools and uh, I did some work out in the, the special care school, at, uh, such a great school. And uh, I had uh, they were celebrating their 25th anniversary. So I had uh, a group of Byron boys and we played and sang. Brilliant. And, uh, but Kilronan was just amazing. And we went to the, the Gale School and we went to the first primary intermediate and got all these everybody sang the same songs and then we cut it so it was like one big school choir class and uh i i got involved well they were, i was always uh i i was contacted by Seamus o'rourke who's, a, who's a, an actor from the south and a, a director called jeff gould and they had uh been given it was like a poem and they wanted it was a poem about the Oma bomb and they wanted to try and elaborate on it so we had this week of reading but it was only 15 lines so myself and Lisa O'Neill the singer went down and we tried to add some music and song in it and uh, her and I would 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 come back and forward and it, it started to take shape and then the boy, he, he lived in Oma and moved to America and he says, no, I don't want to do it anymore. Uh, I don't know what, he had obviously some sort of problem with him. And uh, But I kept in touch with those guys and then I've done I've done a couple of things with them. Uh, a poet called Bernard O'Donoghue, who would be a, a, he keeps all, he has all of Seamus Heaney's unpublished poetry. Wow. And he's a lecturer and Check this out, Old English in Oxford. And his wife's a lecture in Old English. So, you know, way before Lancelot and these boys. How posh would it have been, Yang? But he, he's from Cork. He's from Wee Town in Cork. Oh, he'd be flat out then. And he, he wrote all these poems about this small town. And then we, we performed the poems. These actors performed 30 of the poems. And in through it, I played and sang along with the fiddle player. And then we're going to London, we're going to France with it, we're going to the Heaney Centre with it. And it was just something, you know, they got uh, they got some money from Cork County Council and now it's taken a life of its own. Wow. wow. So there's, there's interesting things like that happening all the time. And, and, and the likes of that there, has that happened already? Uh, you know, uh, it hasn't been at the Heaney Centre uh, yet because... Uh, Kathy can't give us the date that'll work. We want to try and do Dublin, Heaney Centre, London, Paris, all in the one week. That's brilliant. So we're trying to get all them uh, dots in a row. So you're in another wee tour with a different sort of, and showing people out there the diversity of you as a musician, which is important, I'm sure, too. That's all right. Look, I'm like every other musician you talk to, you wonder where you're working next. I never Uh say no. Uh Because, first of all, I just love playing. Yeah. I, ju- I just love And you love people too. I do you? love people. Ah, yeah. I do love people. Yeah. And I, I have good crack and I find, you know, I've met some really interesting people. Really interesting. Um, 
Levon Helm, I used to sit with him. Yeah, well, that's what people should out there, you know. Uh, Levon, eh? Yeah, well, we'll explain that to people now, is that uh, uh, there is, it's quite hard to always say about the band, isn't it? Because people say, what's their name, Paddy? The right. band. The band. Right? Yeah, so people out there, they are the band. Uh, I suppose if you checked from 1967 to 73 or 4, 6 or so. Just watch The Last Waltz. Yeah, and The Last Waltz is the famous band. So, Gino, tell us a wee bit about how that came about, that you ended up uh, meeting, uh, what is, you know, musical legends oh, as such, geez. you know, uh, would you, you know, I know you were saying earlier on, you know, sometimes, you know, there when you're in a room with some people and you think, you, you do know how famous they are. And you're thinking, I wonder what way they'll mm. be, right? So um, you can tell us now how one of the biggest bands, now one of the most influential bands, oh, some would say after the Beatles, isn't that mm. right? Absolutely. And uh, so uh, the last Waltz, uh, uh, they grow up here. Oh, uh, yeah, we should sing her up here now. We, uh, we, we probably copyrighted, probably come down on us. You owe us $15,000. Robbie song. owns it all, you see. Oh. <laughs> That's no point. Uh, so, we'll not talk about copyrights. We're just going to call them the band. <laughs> all right. So, Gino, tell us about that because it's a very interesting story we, for people out there that haven't heard it. We were having a band meeting uh, with regards to a, uh, a concert that had come into the office uh, in Hong Kong. And there was that, there was a gig in Hong Kong, there was a gig in the Isle of Man, and there was a gig in a place called Huggison in Norway. And uh, I said, well, I haven't been to Hong Kong. And the boy says, yeah, the Hong Kong would be pretty good. And uh, then the, the manager at the time said, the only thing about Huggison is the band are playing at it. So I said, no, nah, I'll go to Huggison. Because I was always a bit since the last waltz. And Kevin, Kevin Doherty and myself, who don't have any real grounding in traditional music, if you like. Mm -hmm. that, uh, Kevin's a big Dylan fan. Oh, God. Uh -huh. And uh, he said, yeah, we'll do that. So we went to Hoggison to do it. <laughs> and we arrived and uh, the sound man and their producer was just hanging around the gig. It's big, one of those huge tents. And uh, we did the sound check, and I was singing a song called Short Fat Fanny from the first dog album, uh, what was it called, Parking Mad? And uh, he came up to uh, introduce himself, and he says, Levon sings that song. I said, oh, really? He says, yeah, come and meet the boys. So me and Kevin and Jerry and Cal marched into this luxurious uh, dressing room. And they were all there, and we got meeting Levon and Garth and Rick, and and uh, it was it was a surreal moment. And then we played; they all they all came to the gig, and uh, then uh, <laughs> they went on, and it was just me and Kevin were just standing like <laughs> at the at the side of the stage. It was it was surreal. Yeah. And then leave on, we went back to, we were all staying in the same hotel with the crew and their crew. And so we all went back to my room and there was a mini bar in my room and that got such a rattle, Jesus Christ. And a mini bar in Norway is an expensive thing. Uh, yeah. But the... Is that because they don't want you drinking or anything? Uh, yeah. We were all sitting on, uh, Rick and, and Levon were sitting on the two beds chatting like this. And me and Kevin and Jerry and Cal sitting around just on on chairs, like just watching these two boys telling stories and, and everybody's listening. 
And Kevin says, uh, Levon, what's Bob like? And uh, Levon says, he's a nice guy, just a hell of a lot funnier than everybody thinks he is. <laughs> so at this stage, the mini bar was gone, and we they were they were going to Oslo the next day, and we were going home. And uh, Butch Denner, their tour manager, uh, came and says, right, guys, we need to go. So as we're saying our goodbyes and our hugs and all that carry on, Levon is walking out my bedroom door, and he turned. We were talking about making a record, and he says, uh, "You guys should come to Woodstock. It didn't do Muddy Waters any harm." So I said, "He gave me his address and his number." So after the tour, we had signed a record deal, and uh, I said, "Shit, we'll ring him, see what the crack is." He remembered who we were, and then we were in Woodstock for two records uh, with Rick and Levon and Garth. Who, That's uh, amazing, Gino. Oh, there was all the all these boys that were uh, living around Graham Parker. All these ah. boys that were living around Woodstock, and leave on or Rick would tell them that there's this Irish band and you got to come see them. So we'd be playing in the studio, you know, recording something, and the next thing, uh, Graham Parker would be there or uh, Bruce Hornsby or Natalie Merchant. Or That's just the way you do. Yeah, yeah. just some Bruce Hornsby. strange people, and yeah. then we record. Oh, international uh, we, recording artists. And they would bring in, like, uh, Rick would bring in uh, vitamin, uh, or he'd bring in orange, he'd send vitamin C is important when you're in the studio, and somebody else would bring in a bag of pot. And <laughs> That's even more important than the studio. <laughs> I mean, we shouldn't, for people out there, uh, orange juice, right, vitamin C, put plenty of that into your body, isn't that right, you know? Uh, and look, it, it was off its time, you oh, know? Oh, yeah, and, uh, but look, people should know that uh, you were sitting in a room with... Um, Legends. They were legends. Oh, Gino, I mean... And then, you know, them them coming and singing on our records. Amazing. And Garth... Uh, Garth was over in London doing a tour with Mercury Rev. And he contacted me and asked... He was opening for them. And he asked me would I come and play with them. And opening for Mercury Rev in the Hammersmith Apollo. <laughs> so Garth and I would be playing Polish polkas and classical music. There you go. And Mercury Rev would be at the side of the stage looking, going, wow, this is amazing. Wow. <laughs> Crazy shit. Uh, Unbelievable. But that was all. And what people too should know, uh, you had opportunities not just with one of the most famous bands in the world, the band. He also played on recordings with the likes of Shane McGowan uh -huh. and Sinead oh, O'Connor. Uh, so you want to talk about some of them experiences? Uh, <laughs> sure. Uh. Sinead, uh, I was living in London at the time and uh, I got a call uh, from one of the, the popes that would stroke pogues, Tommy McAnimal. He said she was looking some Byron for a couple of tracks. So the, the deal was that I had to go to Filthy McNasty's in Islington, Shane's pub. It was a whiskey cafe, and you would meet there. Did he own the pub? Uh, he was a shareholder in the there pub. There you go. Uh, just off the Angel. And uh, we were, you had to go there, and then it was uh, when Sinead was a priest, when she was going through the priesthood. Yeah. And, so uh, the press were everywhere trying to get her. Oh, uh, you know. But uh, you had to go there and then get a car to take you to the studios, to Mickey Most's studios. So Muggins here says, look, nobody knows who I am. I'll take the train over and down there in. And uh, the the boy that was doing the, the album says, no, 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 no. I says, look, nobody knows who I am. 
the instrument, uh, the, I'll just say I'm delivering pizza. They'd not worry one bit about me. And they says, well, there's a hundred pound <laughs> for train tickets. And I, I bought a, a ticket for, I think, a, a, a whole travel card was 640 at that time. Jeez. So I was there for three days. And uh, the first day I went in, she, she had me playing on some stuff. And she wasn't about, but there was this this engineer called Skip, his name was. So he had never seen a boy around before, so he was just, can you do that? Can you? Oh, yeah, yeah. So a couple of days later, she came in and the, the boy around was getting mixed through the tracks. And I told her it was from the north. And she had a song that she wanted about St. Bridget. She had this idea for a song about St. Bridget, but she wanted a marching band. Mm. Like, a, a, I don't know what the, the proper word would be. Well, the band that I had in mind was Milleroo from Tubman Moore with the drumming and the, uh, and, and the, uh, all that the, all, sort of, t- oh, oh yes, uh, yeah, really, yeah. you know, really. The military, you mean, so mm-hmm. that, that. All that, uh, it was all like harmonics and, and oh, geez, it was really good. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. so I left her with, I knew one of the boys in the band. So I left him with, with I left Skip the number for this song. And it was uh, a song about St. Bridget and the similarities between St. Bridget and Princess Diana. Now, to this day, I don't know if it was ever recorded. I got I got my credits on for, for the album that it did, but I don't know if it was ever recorded. It was, mm-hmm. it was the rough vocals were done and I put a bar on on it, but I don't know if it went any further. Yeah. But it was, that's how, you know, that's where her thinking was. And there was a lot of Jamaican influence in that, that album. Yeah. I was, a, I was a sort of reggae album, yeah. kind of, you know, now. Because yeah. um, actually I've seen, uh, I went and seen her in Hexagon, is that what they call mm-hmm. it in Dublin? Mm-hmm. Oh, she's uh, great, isn't she? I went uh, and she was with Sly and Robbie and that was the reggae. So that, there, you guys didn't know that you're, you played the, in that album. The, uh, she's a fantastic singer and yeah. the most beautiful woman you've ever seen. Beautiful. There we go. And Shane on the other hand Adult portion. <laughs> <laughs> Is he the spring roll at two in the morning and then he sort of, he didn't move on. It's a different character completely. He's the smartest man I ever met. Uh, and uh, Businessman, even though... Not a businessman. No? No. no. Not a businessman, but just an, uh, a genius, I think. Yeah. Uh, smart man and knows everything about everything. But... Uh, what you know, you can't say anything. It's just uh, you work to his clock. Like I remember the on Holly, the Hollywood Boulevard, the uh, the boys came to me. They says, "Look, we we have to bring this album out ourselves. Will you play on it?" I says, "I no bother." He says, "All we can give you is fifty quid a track." I says, "Look, I'm in the town. I was in London. Don't worry about it." So he says, "Can you be at the studio at two o'clock?" I says, "Yep." Yeah. So I three or four boy runs with me on the train. And there was a boy called the Sarge who sort of looked after Shane and sort of looked after the the, the band. And uh, I says, how you doing, Sarge? We had a cup of tea and a nice, big, comfortable studio. Then all these BBC heads came in, all these uh, brass section. Now, these boys were on, the, they were getting MU rates. Yeah. And this was at two o'clock, half two, I'm sitting, three o'clock, I'm sitting... Half three, four, nothing. And the brass section are all sitting there, but they're getting paid. You know, they do, it doesn't matter to them. Mm. Shane decided we'd start recording at 8 o'clock at night. 
Because the boys up the stairs were having a bit of crack. There's a wee party, you know. A party. Yeah. And uh, it's just so they're recording to be grand. Uh, and then and then boys will get paid, don't you panic about it. Uh, and it worked out for you, all right. Aye. Sure. So there's a great uh, it's a great uh, um, legacy for you, you know, to talk about and be with well, like I, you're talking I, that uh, some of the biggest stars, you know. I, I don't like I I don't uh, talk about it because I don't want to come across as big headed, but just you have me on a sort of roll now and I'm thinking God, I did that as well. Uh, but that, there's nothing wrong with that. She'd be proud of that. Uh, you know what oh, I mean? I'm proud of everything yeah, I've done, yeah, but but yeah. uh, it's it's a very different, like you know, uh, the, like uh, when from learning to play it and uh, Eleven Westland Road in Marafel to sitting in the studio at Levon and, and uh, Woodstock uh, in Woodstock, yeah. and then going to Bearsville yeah. up there and and meeting, uh, you know, we went to Tinker Street and uh, the the most famous cafe in America. And uh, we used to go there after the after the session every day, after the recording. And the Joyous Lake is a bar that that Levon used to put a band together, the Barnburners, and they'd, they'd be knocking around like rehearsing and practicing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and but then I suppose that was part of your musical. Day. I, but these boys, these boys at a at a time were the biggest after the Beatles. But yeah. they were like Rick. Rick did a bit of gardening. Gareth just played music all the time, mm -hmm. and uh, they just were interesting, really nice people. They just loved music, and there was none of this old crap, you know, you know, like at, egos. At the Grammy, no egos. No, none of that carry on uh, because there was no. Leave on uh, in the last waltz, and, and his book tells you that the band wouldn't be anything without Gareth Hudson. They are, and they they had to pay Gareth. To give them music lessons, or his father wouldn't let him go to join the band. Wow, there you are! And th to this day, they still call him Honey Boy because <laughs> he made everything sound sweet. Uh, and and it helped their mm -hmm. career. Mm -hmm. Well, I suppose I wanted to go back about uh, um, actually ten years ago. Just it came in my head this morning because I remember you uh, at the time. Uh, I'd been up around it myself and done a couple of things. Uh, the city of culture in Derry. Uh, oh, you, uh, for the fla. I think it's uh, important to bring up the old fla 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 fla. Do you oh. know? And for people out there, <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> for people out there, a fla is a gathering of Irish traditional musicians, i.e., dance, music, culture, uh, culture, uh -huh. uh, poetry, uh, art, it's everything, everything, all put in. So if you see the advertisement for a fla out there, and you're an international visitor looking into this podcast, that's where you go. That's where you go. So Gino, the so we'll go back for the people out there that don't know. So the the. It was, uh, it's a UK city of culture, uh, and it's right. uh, it's what it's, it's called, or the city of culture. Um, and what it is for people listening, uh, now as much as I know, uh, they look at smaller cities, and it's about uh, reinventing them, reimaging uh -huh. them, and uh, uh, revigorating them, and, and uh, I suppose um, lifting their people as well. Well, Liverpool were, was the city of culture, yeah. and Derry and... Brat, or was it, Hull, 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 this Hull, year. That's uh, all, that's uh -huh. right. So, the city of culture, for people listening, it's a multitude of um, uh, artistic endeavours. Yeah, for the year. For the year, and everybody uh, uh, is involved from those on the fringes, mm -hmm. uh, those in the middle ground, and right those through. with the fancy ties mm -hmm. and fucking hats mm -hmm. and whatever else they're wearing. How do you doing, Gino? Mm -hmm. How do you doing? And uh, so, Gino was... 
The Voice? <laughs> the Voice! Welcome to The Voice! <laughs> Gino was the voice of the fly in uh, Derry City, which I should say was one of the biggest attended oh, flies ever, good. right or wrong. Right, it was yeah. over half a, half mm. a million people, mm. they reckoned, over the period of time. Mm. So, uh, how did that all go for you, Gino? Because I've seen you on TV, you know, oh, and, and they're butting on you and, you know, they were, I, they were uh, touching you up with the, with the makeup that we couldn't afford to put on you earlier on there. <laughs> That's right. I, I was contacted by a boy called Paul McKay, who had seen the band playing and he'd listened. I had been doing some work in Radio Foil, you know, covering for Stephen McCauley, great lad. Aye, brilliant. And I never, it was a dream job. I loved it. Jeez, uh, I thought I was playing records. Uh, oh, class. man. Class. And nobody telling me what I could play. Class. Oh, I was. You in, were one of the lucky ones in letting play what you wanted to play on the station. Everything. Uh, everything. Anything. And, uh, you know, I'd start off maybe with, with I, I played uh, an Aretha Franklin track every Friday and right. I played a Glenn Muller track every Friday. Deadly. And every, everything in between that. Yeah. You know, uh, everything. How deadly is Rita Franklin too, as a singer? <sighs> Amazing. God, she was the queen of soul. Mm. Yeah. But the, my, uh, you know, I came home, I drove back from Derry every night and I had to keep a, a list of everything that I played. And then I would just go into the CDs and go, geez, I haven't heard that for a while. <laughs> and then fill a bag. This is like after work. And get, leave it at the front door so it could go the next day. Brilliant. It was super. And Paul had heard me doing some stuff on uh, on Radio Foil. And uh, through a couple of friends, he approached me and asked me what I consider, excuse me, uh, being on TV with the fly. Jeez. So, look, I'm up for anything. I says, aye, we'll give it a go. So we had meetings and meetings. And then uh, the it, I got the gig and it was... Uh, Amazing. It was, I had a, a big bus down in, in the Guildhall Square. Had your own bus now, you know, and get out fan down. <laughs> People should know there was a big fan who pulled I, me down. I don't know, I, uh, had, I had the big fly bus and uh, the, uh, we had uh, just people would call and then people like because I knew that many people I'd have them in having the crack oh, well, sorry was the studio in the bus no no, no, they, no. Would, they would come in and then uh, some boy would come in with a handheld deadly. and uh, you know uh, just talking everybody going out and then every so often playing a tune with somebody or introducing them or uh, then uh, I did a duet me and Bruno Gallagher and Paul Casey did uh, I heard uh, sang a song and that that was a highlight for me now, I have yeah. to say. But the, the uh, I had Paul in my ear all the time, you see. So there was there was one toward it, you know, uh, Thursday or the Friday of the flab, just at the height of it when it was really busy, uh, the PSNI were coming in to be interviewed. But their PR people had a list of stuff that you could say or you couldn't say. Uh. And you can't mention this. I was going, that's true. Uh, and I was awfully professional and polite. And, and you mentioned everything you weren't allowed to. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, your man was on. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, he had, he had all the top brass and the hat. Uh, the sh everything was shining like. Uh, and uh, I was there and I was talking. I said, there's some good looking policewoman. He says, well, I couldn't possibly comment on that. <laughs> and I, I says, well, uh, uh, we were chatting and then I says, uh, it's great for community relations, you know, people seeing the PS and I enjoying music and the the human side to all that carry on. And he says, yeah, and I says, in fact, I uh, 
I've seen a couple of your, couple of your officers. I was talking to them today while we're having ice cream. And he says, really? I said, yeah, they were doing such a good job. And we all sat and had an ice cream. And I said, they were very, very pretty. And he says, oh, I, I, I can't possibly <laughs> I can't possibly contact, I, I comment on that. And he was looking at the PR woman going, get me out of here. And I was going, well, you can tell that girl she can have my number anytime. And tapped him on the back and says, good luck now, mind yourself. And he stormed off into a waiting car. Jeez, it wasn't good. And all I could hear, the, the producer and me, you're going, you got him, you got him, you nailed him. <laughs> But it wasn't, I, I, it was completely, I, I didn't mean to do it. Yeah. it just, well, well, it was a natural instinct to you, you like humour. And just for people out there to know the scale. Oh, the, uh, like tell, can imagine the scale of, it, of like. It generates, like, uh, the the last fly was in Mullingar last summer. And it generated something like 70 million euro for a week. Wow. You know, it's huge. But the, the, the city of culture was, was the great thing. A lot of people didn't like it because dairy was in the UK and all that carry on and all that bullshit. And, but it, it was the greatest thing for dairy because it, it showed it in such a... Positive. Positive. For instance, I always tell this story. I'm, I'm, we're doing a thing with uh, one of the other... The girl that I'm working with is interviewing Michael D. Higgins in Irish. And... Uh, I'm chatting, we're just standing around. And there's an American guy, a backpacker. And there's this wee dairy woman, and they were chatting, and uh, he was talking to her, and he says, yeah, I'm, I'm away now, I'm coming, going through Ireland, where are you staying tonight? He says, I'll get a hostel or something. Have you eaten and all this? So the wee woman took him home, put him up, washed his clothes, and I found her. And I said to her, you know, what, why? She says, well, if my son was away somewhere like that in foreign, I'd like somebody to do that for him. So That's she, amazing. She fed him and gave him a bed. Never met him before. Standing in the crowd at the fly. Because it, it, that, that camaraderie is at the fly, isn't it? Uh -huh, but, but it's also Derry City, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's in the people. Mm -hmm. They're good people. Yep. And I think that the... Do because you think they never had anything. That's and that, that's, you know, if you went into my house when, when there was nine of us going, my mother would say, you have a drop of tea. And if I went to your house, I'd get the same. Aye. You would have what we're having. Aye. And it was just, that's the way it, it was. It was the way it was. Mm -hmm. And it's nearly built into, it's, an, it, it, it's you know. definitely around this area. Definitely. Aye. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, or we'll look after your neighbour or, or we'll see. God, I haven't seen her all week. I'll, 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 there's a dog out. Who owns that dog? Aye. Yeah. People know, like. Yeah, people. And. Have you seen that uh, in uh, in Macafelt? Is that something that's, that that that's in, got in Westland, where I was born and yeah. reared? All our neighbours are still, you know, they're at an age now. Uh, when my mother passed away last Christmas, she they were all there, and now that their neighbours are passing away, it's nearly it's just automatic. We go to the funeral and we catch uh, up, yeah, and we always. Uh, do you remember that day and? Uh. It playing, brings back good um, memories. Playing football. Street from, playing. Uh, six, all that. Six o'clock in the evening with a sugar sandwich to nine o'clock. Aye. First goal, you know, next goal Aye. wins. A sugar sandwich, just the eyes, just uh -huh. lighten up. You know, a lot of young people might know what a sugar sandwich is. Oh. Describe a sugar sandwich to the people out there, do you know, when first. You, you got a bit of uh, plain bread. Oh, uh, Three and a half inches are uh, in big money, 
1,800 metres of butter <laughs> and four spoonfuls of sugar. Half a track, a running uh, track of butter. Just slap it on there. <laughs> Let's lie on that track and eat it all up. And your heart going... <laughs> and the consultant going, uh, Mr. Virginia, have you been eating real butter? Four, four spoonfuls of sugar spread to every corner of the oh, roof. Cut in two, glass of water out of the tap, out of the back, or the hose out the back. And you were playing for another five hours. And see now, they've all these fancy packs put in the back of the thing and they're squeezing them on and all. That's you know, top. Just get the old sugar sandwich. Sugar, and then stopping for uh, for a break and going to the, the hose pipe at the back of the house and could have been anything in it. Uh, getting a wee drink of water. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and you plan, you, you know, you plan from six o'clock in the evening after work to nine o'clock at night. That's mad because there was a, another gentleman on here saying back in the day that something happened a lot outside mm -hmm. to late at night. And and jumpers for goalposts. <laughs> jumpers for goalposts. Uh, and, and you were the captain if it was your ball. Uh, you were the king. You were the king. And uh, and how, what was that like, I suppose, in them days? Do you remember any of the people playing along with them days? Oh. Ah, yeah, yeah, the whole lot. The, you, you went from the garages in Westland where everybody would meet at half five, six o'clock, and there might have been 20 aside. Wow. And then when the the swings, that we used to call them the swings, opened, there was this pitch or a bit of grass. Beside it. Uh-huh. And that just, it was like a magnet. Woof. Everybody And went. everybody, and then there was two or three boys waiting around, fancy game, or we're kicking, yeah. you know. Yeah. Was a good community spirit? Uh, there was. Yeah. It wasn't, a, you know, there was. it was still... It it was always there, you know that the religious thing, but uh, it was never. We were far too interested in being George Bester. Uh, well, you were brought up not to worry. You were brought no, up about because no, I can pick that up from you. You, none, you were there to greet all people. Well, our, our, one of our closest friends, still to this day, is uh, the Chatter family. Yeah, and we didn't even realize that they were Indian. To somebody pointed it out. There you go. And I remember somebody telling me one, they. Uh, this girl says to me, I'm not allowed to talk to you because you're a Fenian. And I says, what's a Fenian? It was never, uh, it was never meant, it was never brought up. Yeah, and not in your family. No. No, because you were brought up to just get on with get life. Get on with and, it. Uh, and make sure that you, you looked after your family, you had everything that they needed. And, you know, my mother always said, God love her, that if, because uh, she was, a, my father died when he was 39 uh, with nine kids. Wow. And uh, she used to say, if Lidl was, was there when she was growing up with that like kings. <laughs> <laughs> well, here, you, your mother, uh, um, um, fair player, that's a big undertaking. At, uh, you but know. You're, you had to do it. I yeah. left school and went to work. And yeah. You were the oldest and you became that, mm -hmm. that model, I can mm -hmm. see. And that happens a lot for an well, Irish family in general. An Irish family, yeah, it does. Doesn't like. it? Mm -hmm. And uh, that... Uh, the, like the, the the oldest becomes yeah the front well, it, but it doesn't matter if brother or sister that that I was at that age I just said well sure look school's not for me really yeah. I'm away yeah and I uh, there was only the only thing that I had I got fifty p I gave my mother the wages and I got fifty or seventy five p and bought a record or a cup of coffee and Shawnee news. Yeah, you are. And, that, and the wee jute box mm -hmm. in the corner. Uh, Red sails in uh, the sunset. One uh, a one o one. I see that and. Uh, I used to go down and I should have been, <laughs> I shouldn't say it. <laughs> I should, I used to go, well, it should have been in the tech. I kind of was in the tech yeah, for the people that on. sent me there in the YTP. I wasn't in the tech and I used to go down, uh, 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 day tripper. Oh, jeez. Uh, ding, 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 ding. Yeah. Oh, lovely. Uh, and then every so often. And the wee burger he had. Oh. 
on the Melamite Cups. Uh, but uh, when I was on the duel, I was saying, no, and I'd, I'd go in and say, Sean, can I get a burger and a coffee to Friday? <laughs> no bother. Uh, an ice cream was uh-huh. it? And they'd be selling cigarettes by the singles. That was an old thing, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. The old uh, mm-hmm. Park Raven, mm-hmm. old, them old ones. And he'd be, he'd defy, he'd, Gold be, bond. He'd, he'd be smoking and making the, 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 ice, the ice cream. I wouldn't give a shit. <laughs> It was great. Uh, health and safety now. Look, big gloves and all, you're wrapped up. You mm. know, don't touch the ice cream. Not you know, big hats and masks and all and, that. Uh, it was, you this know, ice cream was quite famous in the area, it, wasn't it? It time? is. That, that came from America, apparently, that ice cream. Wow. And go. the recipe's big secret. There you go. Mm-hmm. And it's back again, isn't it? In, the, in Rainy Street. Yeah. But I think your man has only bought it for X amount of time, but he, there's some ploy or something in it that Provisor that he can't, you know, do the making of it or what I don't know. That's but the recipe is apparently from an American soldier. Wow, that had been over here mm-hmm. and uh, stationed in Arbo or Balderas. There you go. There was a lot of American soldiers around mm-hmm. in this area. Like there was a house out the road, you know, that their big white house that really? uh, that a lot of the American soldiers, if they were injured, would have been taken there. Glebe, right. the Glebe was just out the, the Glebe, road. I know you're at it. Yeah, I thought. The, that uh, I was talking to Barry Devlin a couple of weeks ago in, in uh, the Shimasini Centre, and he had written the the three piece thing about the the, the American soldiers in the lock. There you go. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's sure that's where I learned to drive out at the at the airdrome and our boat raking the shit out of my uncle's car. <laughs> <laughs> and look for yourself, uh, uh, like. You were saying about four men and a dog. You're 30 years on, is that mm-hmm. right? And uh, uh, like, and, and you're looking very youthful, I should say. Mm. A very youthful looking man. I know you weren't happy that the boys didn't put makeup on you and all that oh, there and put you in your wrong side and all that I there. Know but that, but, but is look- there any plans for the... Oh, we're, st- we're still playing. We, we, uh, we have, what are we doing? We're playing in London on uh, St. Patrick's Day and the next day, 17th and 18th of March. There's a... Uh, we might be playing on Trafalgar Square. We're not sure yet. They're still humming and hawing about that, but we've played that a few times. And then no way. The first time I played Trafalgar Square, we were all still drinking, and I got a pile of, a pile of boys from round home and round here in Ballinderry, all jumping into the fountains. And then uh, they were all soaking wet, roaring <laughs> and shouting, and the boys, the security men, taking them out. So the last time we played it with Damien Dempsey, there was... Uh, all the all the fountains were drained. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Mike. I'll tell you uh, what. Here, I'll tell you what. We're directing your operations in safety. We want to take that water out there, you know, it and shocking, save it. Shocking. That's brilliant, you know. And we have a couple of gigs in Galicia towards the summer, in northern Spain. That's good crack. Yeah. And do you think about will there be like I know it's it's hard and it because it it costs a lot of money. But do you think about like an Irish tour down the line again? Well, you know, we're getting older, but I uh, think there's there's definitely one or two, there's there's the uh, energy to do it. Uh, but it's just you know, Kevin Kevin's finishing off his PhD in Trinity. Cal's been playing with Christy Moore for a long time. Yeah, uh, Donal is playing. He's he's got a three year American visa, so he's got a lot of work in the states. Oh, uh, there you go. And I'm just 
between teaching and playing, I'm trying to make a record myself. So Brilliant. it's just trying to get everyone together. Mm-hmm. But we'll do it. We'll do it. Aye, it, it because when we get together, it is, it's good crack. It's, it'll happen. And that, well, well, I suppose that's a positive way to be on the way out. But what I also want to do here uh, is mention that you are in another band at the minute on tour. Oh, gee, oh yes. Three we're for pl- the road. Three for the road. Three for the road. We're playing in this fantastic venue as we speak. Uh, we certainly uh, are. Uh, Tim Eady, who is, uh, anybody that doesn't know Tim, is a genius. Uh, a guitar player learned from Steve Cooney and an accordion player and is just soaked in music, soaked in music. And Dermot Byrne, uh, everybody uses the word, but he is a genius. He's He played with Alton for years. He was the TG Carr Musician of the Year for years. Played John Prine, plays with all these boys. Super player. Yeah. And myself, and we've been friends for ages. And uh, our friend Lo- uh, Jerry Logue put this together. And the boys from Booga, Sean O'Graham, Ogre- Sean told me about they played a, ge- a gig here. So I said, That's right. I know who to ring. And thank you for giving us the show. And, and uh, is it the 2nd of March? 3rd. Uh, 2nd of March. 2nd of March. March. Yeah. I'm a day ahead of myself. Uh, and uh, it'll be great crack. 2nd of March in the corn store. Tickets online as we no, speak. But the thing is, there's no set list because it's just going to be on the night. Brilliant. So, so now, although Tim texted me, emailed me yesterday the words of uh, Chattanooga Choo Choo. But I have another surprise for him rather than that. That's <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. So, so that that's what. No, it, it, uh, I trust the two boys, and they trust me. So, it, yeah. but be... you're professionals, and you've Aye. been out a long time. And, Aye. and I suppose for like I know that uh, uh, as I say, the tickets have started to move on here, and uh, there's a lot of people really excited about it. Do you know that the three ends we've got those people that know who the three people are on the? On, do you know what I'm trying to say? Aye, aye. On the poster, they really do appreciate mm. it, and I think it's uh, for us. It's great to have uh, yourself and, and well, people th- like that I, coming in here to play. I you know? was so uh, amazed at this venue when, when Stella took me up the stairs today. It's absolutely s- splendid. Thank you, and I look forward to coming and causing havoc. That's it. And you're looking across the road from a man that caused havoc all his life. <laughs> and, uh, so I all I have to say is right Gino, back at you. Gino Lapari, you have been a star man. Give yourself a round of applause. Thank and you. thank you very much for Butterfly. coming in. And uh, thanks for all the people out there, I should say, Gino, that have been listening to the podcast over the over the last couple of years. And they can get us on YouTube and they can get it on all the networks. It'll be out soon. And thanks to Tierney and uh, Nathan and uh, Stella, who's invisible today. <laughs> over in the corner and, and thanks all for and, and don't forget to edit that bit about the the pot and don't, that bit about the pot was Gino's love of gardening yeah and and garlic garlic and gardening <laughs> and no by no right I should ask this man here I was watching the thing all right should pineapple be on pizza no, or not no no way Jeez. anchovies Anchovies, that's the wee, no. weird green thing. Uh, oh no, anchovies no. are the fish fillets. Holy oh, shit! Oh, jeez. There you go. Fabulous. For, for people out there, we're getting looks from the boys over here, Gino. Pizza, it? pineapple. Uh, <laughs>
Uh, there are two parties. There's two parties. Uh, there are two boys in Trafalgar Square, Gino, over Jeez. there. <laughs> I know. I just thought I'd ask you that. And uh, so, thank you, no. very, thank you very much, Gino. And that's your wee cook recipe for the week. And that part is just uh, <laughs> that part. That part we're on about is about daffodils, isn't it, Gino? It's about daffodils. Uh, daffodils. Daffodils. Yeah. Thank you, Gino. All right, lads. Thank you. <laughs>